Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this late edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we'll check in on early voting in the state's largest county. Uh, We have more early voting locations than Cobb, DeKalb, and Gwinnett combined. That conversation with Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections Director Richard Barron, that's coming up in just a moment. But first, speaking of elections, President Donald Trump will visit Macon, Georgia this Friday. The Trump-Pence campaign says the president will deliver remarks at a Make America Great Again rally at the Middle Georgia Regional Airport. And this comes after former second lady Jill Biden finished up campaigning here in the state. Mrs. Biden was in Atlanta and Columbus encouraging early voting and campaigning for her husband, Democratic candidate Joe Biden. Now, the election is weeks away, so it's likely Georgia will be a stopping point for both major parties, as early polling suggests Georgia is just too close to call. Also, if these large crowds are gathering, as Georgia has been steady in new coronavirus cases, There are concerns about social distancing and, of course, folks wearing facial coverings, which leads us to the latest data at the time of this broadcast from the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, the number of new coronavirus infections confirmed each day hasn't changed much since late September. Now, over that same time, the percentage of tests that return positive results, well, that's dropped. Georgia's Department of Public Health typically releases these new numbers each afternoon. So at the time of this broadcast, 332,311 COVID-19 cases have been confirmed here in Georgia. That's a total number. Now, the number of active COVID-19 hospitalizations has also dropped. Now, in total, 29,656 have been hospitalized, and of those, 5,514 were ICU admissions. And here in the state, in total, 7,429 deaths have been recorded since March. And all of this is according to the Department of Public Health. State officials are warning, though, that a possible, quote, twindemic, that's a jump in COVID-19 cases, just as flu season hits, well, that could be coming. And finally, in other health-related news, Children's Health Care of Atlanta is naming a new hospital after Arthur Blank. Why? Well, following a large donation from his foundation. $200 million to be exact. It's the largest donation ever to a freestanding pediatric hospital, according to Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Now get this, hospital officials say the 1.5 million square foot hospital will be built in Brookhaven around North Druid Hills and I-85. The Arthur M. Blank Hospital will open its doors in 2025. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. If you don't know, now you know early voting is underway. And although there was some expected long lines, maybe some technical glitches and high voter turnout, let's hear from some Fulton County voters. It was great. It was uh, the best I've ever seen. It was in and out, no no hold up, no nothing. It was, it was seamless. This is my third stop. <laughs> I uh, stopped near my home and I was told there was a two and a half hour wait. So, okay, go to work and then go back out. And then I went to the High Museum. Of course, there was a long line and someone said they voted here earlier this morning. It took just minutes. It was nice. The line, you know, went move, move fast. The only problem that I've seen as far as senior citizens, they need some type of transportation where they can get back and forth. I'm just glad everybody came out to vote. I got here by 9.30 and I'm just now leaving. 1.21. Smooth as silk. 
you're in, you're out. I wasn't even, I didn't even stand in a line. It was one, two, three, the steps were clear, the machines are working, the helpers are just wonderful, everything. The experience is A+. plus. Some voices from early voters, thanks to our WABE colleagues, Emil Moffitt and Lily Oppenheimer. So let's check in with Fulton County. Richard Barron is director of the County Board of Registrations and Elections. Director Barron, thanks for taking the time. No problem. Good good to talk to you again. Well, it's all over, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's only just begun. Uh, you heard some of the voices there from voters in Fulton County. What'd you think? Oh, that's encouraging. I mean, we had yesterday the only day of early voting in 2016's presidential election that beat that day was the last day of early voting. We had yesterday um, 19,716 people vote and only the last day in 20, and that's compared to 14,927 in 2016. Mm So um, it's, it's, it was an encouraging turnout, and I think going forward, we, um, we're going we're gonna to do well. Let's talk about some of the, the challenges. There were some technical glitches having to do with the equipment for the, some of the workers, the poll workers. Was it the, the iPads? What was the situation here? Uh, the poll pads at State Farm um they the the poll pads at state farm had an issue with the file when we first opened this uh, yesterday morning and one thing i did before this election was purchase these uh, cradle point routers that that can help with any issues that pop up with the with the poll pad so as soon as we diagnosed what happened we were able to uh, recover quickly and and reset all of the poll pads in State Farm, 60 of them. And we cleared the voters out there within probably 20 minutes. And they ended up processing almost 3,000 voters at State Farm yesterday. And other than that opening, that opening time, uh, they had no lines. So other sites had lines. Sure. And I think one of the things that people should know is they could drive to State Farm and vote and drive home and probably save time over uh, voting at some of the other locations. How crucial has that location been for Fulton County, Director Barron? Oh, it's a great partnership. Um, And the, the Hawks team, I mean, other than three staff, other than three of our experienced early voting workers that are there and uh, three technicians we have there all of the staff are from the atlanta hawks organization mm-hmm. and so they they have given us all of that space we have 302 ballot marking devices in there 60 check-in stations it's given us a capacity to process voters that is second to none I mean, it would take uh, probably five to six of our other sites to equal the numbers that State Farm processed yesterday. And State Farm did it without a line. Hmm. And a lot of the other sites had waits all day. Well, here's a question. Why not then make it available on November 3rd? Well, because on November, we don't have uh, a way in Georgia with the way the law is written to have anyone vote anywhere on Election Day. And I know Representative Bruce has been pushing a bill for several years to do countywide polling locations on Election Day. And when I was an administrator in Texas, we were able to do countywide polling locations on Election Day. And what that does, the advantage of it is it eliminates provisional voting almost because you can vote anywhere. Mm -hmm. So on Election Day, you have to vote in your precinct. And if you don't vote in your precinct, you have to vote a provisional ballot. Therefore, countywide polling locations are the best the best way to go. And we we if if we upgraded the technology in Georgia to get cellular uh, poll pads, we could do it here. 
And so I'm hoping that the legislature will change the law next year and adopt countywide polling locations. The last few times that we've had a conversation and we all know what happened in June and, and those were not good conversations, but what have been, I guess, the lessons learned here? Well, I think, you know, we, you know, June was um, a challenge unlike anything we've ever gone through here just because of, you know, losing all the polling places, the poll workers, having very few early voting sites. And then we had a record turnout for for a primary and the Democratic turnout was four to one mm -hmm. uh, over the Republicans because of the, the nature of the contests were so, were so competitive on the Democratic side. So it put a lot of stressors on in um, more high, heavily Democratic populated areas of the county. So what we what we did was make sure that we went back to our normal allotment of early voting sites. And we actually even exceeded what we did in 2016, but we knew we had to just because our, our voter count has increased by a quarter million since mm -hmm. then as well. So uh, we have more early voting locations than Cobb, DeKalb and Gwinnett combined. And which is usually i think what we have in most presidential elections but it's especially important this year because the everyone is seems to be more engaged and motivated to vote than i've ever seen it and we we expect to get an 80 percent turnout this year which would set a record mm -hmm. uh, the previous would be 74 percent, i believe it was in 2008 when president obama was elected so we had to, we increased our polling locations uh, for election day to up to 255 locations. The, that is a positive because we are now have more locations with fewer voters assigned to each of those locations. That will reduce the lines. The risk in doing that is that we need voters to know before they go. We need them to check to make sure they know where their polling location so is. Is there a chance, though, that some voters may have a new location than they had either in June or the last general election? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. There's going probably 33 to 35 percent of the voters are going to have a new polling location. And we've sent out head of household mailings. Um, we did before the, the Congressional District 5 election all of those affected voters we did it and we've sent out precinct cards to all of the voters that were affected by all of those changes mm -hmm. we sent out a flyer uh for the head of household that reminded voters to to check the my voter page the secretary of state's website to make sure they know where their election day location is and we've got another postcard going out this week as a reminder too mm -hmm. we just we needed to get more polling locations and we had planned before the pandemic hit to do it, um, to get up to maybe 220, but we were able to expand up to 255. And now we only have, I think, 12 locations with more than 5,000 registered voters. And that is going to be a key going forward. Another thing we did was we per we doubled our inventory of check-in mm -hmm. uh, stations or check-in computers, the poll pads, and that will give us more checking capacity on election day than we've ever had. Even with the previous system, we didn't have anywhere near this, this capacity. That 80% projected voter participation that you just mentioned a while ago, does that also, when you unravel that to each precinct, each location, is that also projected that it'll be 80% of voter participation? Because if you have one precinct or location that has 5,000 registered voters and 80%, that's why I'm asking it, are you saying that 80% of those 5,000 could also come out on election day or just well, in general? Cause that's a lot of folk. We're yeah, we're planning. I mean, we're projecting that 80%. So 4,000 out of 5,000 would vote, mm -hmm. but we're also trying to drive 80% of those voters to vote before election day, because in, in 2016, we had, uh, 
60, 64% of the voters voted before election day, 59% during early voting, but only 5% absentee by mail. When you look at the way the landscape has changed now, where you have a year where a Democratic runoff for um, district attorney and sheriff, um, the, the, in that race, more voters cast ballots absentee by mail than they did in the presidential in 2016. So we've already received wow. in excess of 52,000 absentee ballots back. And we plan, we're planning to get at least 120 to 150,000 of those back. Hmm. If we have days during early voting, like we had today, I think we're going to hit 350,000 uh, during early voting. If you put another 120 to 150,000 um, through absentee by mail, that's going to get us in that 450 to 500,000 range. Mm -hmm. And we're projecting about 620,000 people to vote in this election. Director Barron, for those who have requested an absentee ballot, they should have received it by now if they if it's been at least more than a month, correct? So the ballots started going out we could, and on the 19th of September. Mm -hmm. um, those were for the rollover voters who are 65 and older or that are who are dis those voters that are disabled on the 21st all of the other ballots started going out now they're being mailed st we're still using runback we're using them through friday those, so those ballots are being mailed from arizona and what we're finding is and i and i requested an absentee by mail just to see how long it would take me to get one from the, my processing date uh, which was the 21st because that was the first day they could go out um, my ballot I, I signed up for ballot tracks at the secretary of state's website so i could track it mm -hmm. that ballot was mailed on the 24th had a postmark of the 26th and i didn't receive it until october 3rd so it's it's the seven to 14 days from what we're hearing from voters and I think sometimes, you know, maybe in the last couple of days, it, it might be stretching to 16 days. So, um, but the best thing to do is to get on ballot, go to the Secretary of State's website and sign up for the ballot tracking, uh, which is called ballot tracks and tracks is with an X. Do you recommend that if someone has not received their ballot as of the time of this conversation, which is October 13th, and we still have some, some time, because for some folks, they say, you know what, I'm just going to wait and now either go early voting or wait till November 3rd. That's going to cause a conflict because in the system, you all have that voter requesting an absentee ballot. Does that cause any problems it, when they well, get to the location? That is when people go and cancel their absentee by mail uh, application at the polling site, <clears throat> it does it does increase the lines. It w increases the wait time because those voters take a little longer to process. And that's what I think why we're seeing longer lines statewide is yesterday, a lot of people canceled their absentee by mail applications. My recommendation is that if you have requested an absentee by mail and it hasn't you and you've gone on to the my voter page, you've seen your issue date, and if you are in that 14, if it's been 14 days since your issue date, um, I would contact our office and because we want people to vote by mail who have applied to vote by mail Okay. in order to, to keep the lines down across the county. And I, I would say that I'd be speaking for all the other election directors in that regard. It does. I, it takes time to get the ballot, the application processed and get it into the mail and then for the mail to arrive. We've put 38 drop boxes around the county mm -hmm. for to make it easy for voters to return those. And 90 percent of voters, once the 38th one goes in in Chattahoochee Hills, 90 percent of the voters are going to be within three miles of a drop box. About those are being picked up every day and are also... 
um, they're surveilled by a camera and our teams go pull those out seal the ballots bring them back here we we give them credit for voting and then we can begin scanning those next Monday. The voice you hear is Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections Director Richard Barron. And we're talking about what went right and some challenges during the first day of in-person early voting this week and what voters can expect moving forward. And also still some of the controversy surrounding Georgia's new voting machines. Why are these ballots coming from Arizona again? I think I asked you this last time, but I do not remember your answer. Well, that's the the Runbeck is a mailing house that that specializes in this mailing ballots for voters around the country. They, they specialize in it. <laughs> they they do it for other jurisdictions too. I mean, I think they do they the job they do is good. Now, I think under the contract, they are only mailing for Georgia twice a week right now. It's like Mondays and Thursdays, I believe it is. So it that's why there is this this lag time. So I, I would encourage people to be patient and they, you know, if they don't get their ballot and, you know, and I would also recommend that people apply, if they're going to apply to vote by mail, do it. The, the legal date deadline is the 30th of October, but I wouldn't, if, if you're going to vote by mail and you do it after October 20th, each day past the 20th, you're, we, Fulton County will start mailing ballots on October 17th, which is going to reduce the, mm -hmm. the the time that it will take for a ballot to get to a voter. Is it too late to request an absentee ballot? No, you can request one up until October 30th. The Postal Service recommends October 20th being the last day that you request one. We agree with that. The, the closer you get to October 30th, the less chance there is for counties to be able to process those, get them into the mail, and for the voter to be able to return them in the mail. If they use the drop boxes, they've got until 7 p.m. on election night to put those in a drop box. You are well aware of all of the messaging back and forth from both political parties about this process that we're talking about? Yes. And for the voter who's listening, who says, I am just still unsure if my vote is being counted. I don't have a paper trail. I don't have anything. Now, I can go to the my voter page at the Secretary of State's office website and see if my absentee ballot has been processed. For those voters, that's probably some assurance. But for the person who just walks into the polling location, and although they get that sticker that says, I voted with the peach on it, it goes back to this the same question of when are we going to have when will a, a voter have some type of receipt or or paper trail that says I voted and this is who I voted for and they have something. I I don't think you're ever going to see a receipt that where a voter can walk out with who they voted for because at that point <clears throat> voters would be able to go out and sell their votes. Somebody could say, I'll give you $100 if you vote for so-and-so. And if you walk out with a receipt that shows who you voted for, they're going to be able to sell sell their votes. That's the reason? So I would think that that's one of the big motivating factors. Yeah, I mean, your, and your, your ballot is supposed to be secret on top of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, that is a big reason for it. And, but there is a paper trail. These ballots can be audited. And there are going to be risk limiting audits performed after the after election day to con to confirm that how people voted uh, that they can confirm that the results are as they sh are as they were recorded. And I think you know this whole process is evolving with regard to risk limiting audits mm -hmm. and just the absentee by mail process. There are a lot of people that mistrust absentee by mail and there's no reason to mistrust it. I, I see a lot of inflammatory or hyperbole and stories about absentee by mail and it just doesn't match with reality. I think, you know, you get a state like Georgia who 
had to become a ballot by mail state almost overnight. You have these other states out west like Oregon, Colorado, Washington, who who've done this over two decades and they made the change over a long period of time. They had time to refine all of their their procedures. And we we've been consulting with National Vote at Home Institute, which are a, bunch, a number of experts out of Colorado to help help us make sure that this process is is smoother than what people experienced in June. Because none of us, my staff, um, my board, me, none of us liked the way things went in June. And we needed to make, give people a good experience when they vote, both by mail and um, at the polling sites. Now, I, I mean, I would like to get the lines down even more, but I think we'd probably have to expand the early voting locations up to 50, 60 locations to do that. And mm -hmm. right now we're at a capacity for early voting. I think the 35 locations we'll have open in week three up from the 32 we had yesterday, it's stretching our limit of what we can do for early voting. We've got a lot of resources in the field. I mean, I think in addition to have three times as many or having more, more locations than the other three big metro counties combined, it doesn't, that doesn't even tell the full story about the number of units we have in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, because we've got three mega sites down at Georgia International Con Convention Center, State Farm, and the Benson Senior Center up in Sandy Springs. Those three locations themselves have 400 ballot marking devices in them. And I, I would say probably th those three locations themselves might have as many ballot marking devices as what the other counties have in all their locations. With these new touchscreen voting machines, um, because they are connected to printers that can produce a, a paper ballot for the voters, right? That you all then yes. scan. That's how it works, correct? Yes. And then that, in a sense, tallies up the votes or adds up the votes, correct? That's how it works, yes. right? So when you talk about, do you have any privacy concerns with these new machines? Um, there are some people that have them. We, um, for election day, we've ordered uh, sneeze guards for them that, that sh we should have in place for election day uh, that is going to, they will give even more privacy to the voters. I mean, if you're standing directly behind a voter, it's hard to see the screen. Mm -hmm. There are places, I mean, if people really want to try to peer behind someone they you you can get a view of of the of the screens the screens are larger brighter and bigger than the previous system but i think as long as the voters standing in front of it with the at least in our county with the wings you know next to them mm -hmm. the view is is obstructed generally from somebody that's behind and actually, yesterday, um, I heard no no complaints about that, which um, I thought to myself last night was noteworthy because I think when we first introduced them earlier this year during early voting for the March PP presidential preference primary, I did hear that. And so we we have tried to position the the units in in the locations to reduce the visibility mm -hmm. and i think we're going to get better at that as we gain more experience with this system and finally as we wrap up director baron a couple of questions here first of all there were calls for you to be fired there was calls for an entire overhaul of the not just your county but a lot of counties during that process from back then to now what have you learned as the director of the state's largest county in terms of voters. Well, I, I, I'll tell you one thing I've learned is I'm not uh, that when it comes to asking for help and for that, I, I'm going to do it to make sure the voters in the county are serviced well. Um, we went out and I went out and started working with National Vote at Home Institute with regard to absentee by mail. Uh, we, we've got help from the elections group, and they've embedded 
three people in our staff to help look at some of our processes and they've they're helping with um, absentee by mail and some change management went out and secured a 6.3 million dollar grant to help pay for different things like uh, a covid stipend to make sure all of our poll workers are out there uh, that we were able to recruit them and retain them and to do decontamination at polling places after the election so that we don't we don't experience what we did in June where we lost a quarter of our polling locations. I think uh, working with the county uh, county managers executive staff and getting input from outside the department about ways we can do things better and then coordinating with uh, the county manager Dick Anderson mm -hmm. and Chairman Pitts to make sure that we have everything at our disposal within the county. I mean this this operation has become so large uh, with especially with absentee by mail the way it is now that uh, it, it is no longer we don't have we didn't have the staff to do everything that we needed to do. And so, you know, I'm not above asking for help. And that's one of the things that, that um, uh, I, I felt we needed to do. And we're taking it from wherever we can get it uh, in order to, to pull this, this election off and make it successful. Are you still in need of poll workers for November 3rd? Or period. No, we've got we've um, we are on target. We were our goal was to have all of the poll workers assigned by uh, the 19th next week, and we're on track to have that in done and have all the poll workers trained by November 1st. And so we're we are on track for that. We've got a, we've got technicians for every polling place. We are also going to have a canceled ballot station in every polling place. We're going to have line managers at all of those polling locations as well. And so I think in the end, we will have 2,785 poll workers assigned, but we're going to have with the line managers and some of these extra people that will be in the field, we're probably going to have between 3,500 and 3,800 people out in the field on election day to make, and that's going to be an increase probably of 14 to 1500 over what we had in the 2016 presidential. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the project just running this election uh, has become a much larger job than it has. And this, this new voting system is um, I think we, now that everybody's used to it, working with it, it, it is do it is doing its job, it's um, the machines are performing well. Um, I think everyone's comfortable with them. It is it is a labor intensive, resource intensive system. Mm -hmm. We have to throw a lot of resources um, at it to make it to make it work. But it provides the paper trail that voters that many mm -hmm. voters wanted. Let me ask you this: Given all the concerns, do you think we will have all of the results? tabulated on November 3rd. Specific I'll tell you what we're going to have tabulated by um, election night. Mm -hmm. We'll start scanning all of our absentee by mail on, uh, we'll start opening them on Monday, the 19th, and start scanning them all the way through until we're concluded. But everything we scan between Monday and election day at probably two o'clock, that will be released um, at around seven o'clock on election night. That should be in excess of 95% of all of our absentee by mail ballots. We will close out early voting, the early voting units um, at 7 p.m. on election night, because according to the law, we can't do it beforehand. And I hope that's another thing the legislature will change because in other states, you can close down your early voting units after early voting closes. Mm -hmm. That way, and we would, so we'll be able to release those early voting results probably by eight to 8.30. And between those two, that's probably gonna be about 75% of our entire vote total that we should have out by 8.30 on election night. Then the election day, the election day 
precincts will start coming in. And once those come in, by, by election night, at whatever time, midnight, 1 a.m., we should have all of our election day results in. And that should be probably 97, 98% of our total vote count. And what, what will count after that will be all everything that comes in on the drop boxes to the drop boxes on election day and everything we receive uh, absentee by mail on election day and provisional ballots. That'll be what remains. So most of our vote count will be in on election night. And I would say that the other counties in Georgia, it will be in a similar position to us. Most of our results will be in by 11 o'clock. I mean, I would say we'll probably have 90% of our election day results in by 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. what, what, it depends on how long the lines are at seven o'clock and how long it takes the, the polling places. Yeah, because you all have to, folks are given the right to cast a ballot even if after that 7 p.m., time as long as they're in line. as long as they're in line yeah. and we know that some folks were in line till one o'clock in the morning do you anticipate uh, yeah, that could happen yeah during early voting uh in june yes fulton county board of registration and elections director richard Barron discussing the start of early in-person voting and of course what voters can expect leading up to november 3rd and november 3rd director Barron. Thank you so much for taking the time. You always make time for us. I appreciate it. I like coming on your show. I enjoy the conversations. So anytime. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF greateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Now more than ever, it seems small acts of kindness can actually make a big difference. We've been seeing a lot during this. We've seen many first responders and frontline workers, community leaders, and yes, even teenagers step up to help those in need during this, again, extraordinary time. And we've spoken to a few of them on this program. Well, right now we turn to a local business owner who many of you, when, when you hear, will be familiar with, who's embarking on her own journey to spread a little more kindness. She's calling it the Kindness Tour. And joining me now to talk more about this is Jenny Levison. But we all know her as Super Jenny, founder of the Atlanta-based cafe, and also Meg Guillotine, who's going to be riding shotgun. So, Jenny and Meg, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> So here's a question first. So Super Jenny, if you are heading out, folks want to know, can they still get some soup and other stuff while you're gone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Um, I certainly, <laughs> I'm actually going to ask all the people in Atlanta if they could keep an eye out and visit and make sure that we're still open. <laughs> so yes, I'm leaving, uh, we've got all five locations are up in running i'll still be doing the menus and creating recipes from the road but you know they got this without me so yeah. um i would appreciate anyone who'd like to let me know that we are open <laughs> when i'm gone and at the last time you and i had a conversation you were contemplating picking up my father's famous cornbread recipe but you hadn't made a decision so i don't know what's up with that yeah i'm you know I'm still open to it. Have, could you send me the recipe for the road and we'll make it and test it out? All right, I will do that. Let's talk about hitting the road, Jenny and Meg. You know, what do y'all make of this time that we're in right now? And Jenny, you go first. Wow. Well, I don't even know if there are enough words to say what's going on in this time. There's so many different avenues. You know how you just read me that first line of your future book? Um, <laughs> I've just... 
Yes, I just feel there is so much going on. There is so much work to be done. And sometimes we all don't know where to start. And this is uh, sort of my effort. I've, I've just got to do something. I've got to start somewhere um, with whatever means I have. Uh, mm. But it's it's a challenging time. Meg, what about you? Your thoughts? Um, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to me. And I feel like I, I'm an actor. So I uh, sit with all the other actors that have been unemployed since March. And, you know, I've been sitting in my house twiddling my thumbs. And, you know, I've got a friend here who she's not a just a, a gal that just talks about things. She actually does them. And when she came to me and said, hey, I'm going on this tour to feed people you want to go. I said, heck, yeah because I wanna get out there and I wanna hear the hope that people still have, um, how they're putting one foot in front of the other during this time. Um, I wanna hear people's stories. I wanna, um, you know, be inspired again. Uh, I think, you know, our, our, all of our hearts are sort of broken and, and we're all scared and, you know, I'm, I'm even scared to go out on this tour, but I just know in the end, it's going to be the biggest blessing ever. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I want to look people in the face and have that community and that connection with somebody who just might be having a really bad day, right? <laughs> just give them a smile because it, it just, it's tricky. This, these times are tricky right now and, and we just need a little bit more kindness and love. So that's what we're going to do. Exactly. Jenny, when did all this come to you? When did you decide, you know what, I'm going to load up this RV, I'm going to grab Meg <laughs> and we're going to hit the road for six weeks. It came to me about what, about three months ago. Uh, I was thinking about my son who's 16 is in school in New Hampshire. I, I talked to a friend in Los Angeles who was scared to travel and scared to go on a plane. And I thought, well, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'll come pick you up and we'll travel back East and she'll pick up her daughter at school and I'll get my son. And then it just, I don't know, it just hit me when she started talking about maybe coming with me that I want to turn this into something bigger. I want to make it mean something and have some purpose. And I, it just hit me. And one day, and then I called Meg. Uh, I have some pretty great friends that are very adventurous. And I just asked her, you know, what do you think? Would you be interested? I think you said, it's, I have a crazy idea. Yeah, it's a crazy idea. <laughs> when you hear that from your friend, you're like, okay, what are you about to get me into? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, the truth is I'll jump in anything with Jenny. <laughs> it's always worth a good laugh yeah. and some adventure. Yeah. So have you mapped out an itinerary? Where are you going to start? How far are you going to go? We have. We, um, we're starting. Um, our first stop is going to be a farm in Shorter, Alabama, and we are feeding a group of people. It's sort of an underserved community. I've connected with a farm there. And then at the same time, we'll purchase vegetables, and then we are going to head to Selma because we have always wanted to walk the bridge and mm -hmm. we are going to set up a free hot soup stand at the bridge at the Edmund Pettus bridge on Wednesday. Uh, and from there, yes, we have a whole route. We're hitting new Orleans, Austin, Houston, um, going up through the grand Canyon. We'll be heading out to Los Angeles, San Diego area. And then we're sort of coming back through Utah um, Wyoming, St. Louis. Uh, so we're do going sort of all around the country. And let's talk about this mode of transportation. You got an RV. I imagine <laughs> it's a pretty nice RV. It's not bad. It's a 24 foot RV. Class C. It's a class C RV. So it's not one of those gigantic <clears> things. <throat> uh, we did a trial run at Stone Mountain a couple weeks ago. So that was definitely insightful. <laughs> 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 we are now experts at and emptying waste yeah. <laughs> and all the things you have to learn. But I'm I love it. Like I'm a little scared to drive, but mm -hmm. I figure I'll get used to it. You've never driven an RV before, Jenny? Not before two weeks ago. <laughs> Meg, do you have any experience driving an RV? Um, I drove something similar in New York City and whacked the side mirror off of it. <laughs> um, but no, I'm with Jenny. Last couple of weeks ago, that was my first uh, 
That was my maiden voyage on an RV as well. Do y'all need somebody else to go with you? Because I got to admit, I'm a little concerned. (laughs) We're actually really lucky because um, Meg's husband and son are going to caravan in their own RV for about half the trip. So that will be fun. And if there's something really horrible, we can ask him to help us with it. <laughs> maybe or maybe, maybe not. I don't know how much Actually, help he's going to be. <laughs> Meg is a lot very handy. <laughs> well, at least the more the merrier. But let's talk about the cooking because in this Class C RV that you have, is it equipped for you to do all the cooking? Because you're going to be doing a lot of cooking here, Jenny. I am, and it does have a three-burner stove inside the RV. And then I've brought like a whole outdoor setup. So I have a double, you know outdoor stove um i have one of those old-fashioned giant kettles that you hang over a fire uh so i'm ready to do a lot of cooking and let's talk about some safety measures here because we are still in a pandemic what measures will you have in place for that jenny and meg well of course i'm following all the the proper things like i would be working in our restaurant you know and working and cooking with gloves and doing all the things you should do and then when we are feeding people you know we'll be masked up and gloved up and you know we're not going to be having people hang around together for hours in a restaurant you know we're trying to do drop-offs or do a quick like a to-go soup station um and you know doing everything that we've been doing up until now and it's all in uh, to-go containers. Yes, everything's to-go. And in little, you know, bags. Jenny, did you think about um, stops here in Georgia or even, you know, traveling throughout the state? You know, you of all people know about food insecurity. And you know, we've, and we, we have done some before even the trip has started. Um, I'm a big supporter of the free 99 fridge movement that's going on right now. So I don't know if you know Letitia. Um, we had her on the started. program a few weeks ago. You know, that's I'm on top fantastic. of things, Jenny. That's Come on right. now. Well, Come on now. I, I mean, what a brilliant idea. And, you know, I personally, once a week, really try to get out and fill all the fridges um, and trying to look for ambassadors to take care of those. So uh, we're doing that. And then, you know, we still have our nonprofit, which you interviewed me about a few years ago. And mm-hmm. so that 700 quarts of soup going out to the community a week as well. So for our little community, uh, we're trying to do as much as we can. But, yeah, there's a lot of food insecurity in Georgia. That's going to need to be a whole trip in itself. Will you all document this journey? Will Meg be behind a camera or just using the old cell phone? Uh, I think we're going to use the old cell phone to document a lot of it. And, you know, we're going to document what we can. My main focus is the mission mm-hmm. and the kindness and uh you know, I find sometimes our cell phones get in the way of, of sure. really beautiful moments. And uh, so I'm going to be really careful about that. But um, first and foremost, we're going to uh, get out there and hopefully um, change some hearts and some souls and make everybody feel real good. I feel that way, too. And especially since we do some nonprofit work here at the restaurant, I feel that people um that are in need, it's a private, it's very private. And Mm so I think our documenting will be more about the crazy things that happened to us and our trip rather than trying to catch the people we're serving. Like Meg backing into a sign or something like that. Yeah. 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 Like me running over, you know, a bike or something. Well, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Um, And we also, you know, Rose, it's not just kindness through making people soup. Uh, I I just want to look for opportunities wherever we are. And give back. You know, we can give to people. It could be driving through a Starbucks and buying 50 people coffee. You know, I just want to be sort of inspired in the moment of what we can do for people out on the road. And hopefully in turn, encourage people to, you know, do the same. And Jenny, I'll give you the last word. Vote. (laughs) Okay. That doesn't have to be the last word, but please vote. (laughs) If that's your last word, that's your last word. But then you all will come back after six weeks, maybe after some rest. Come back and and share with our listeners what the six weeks, what you discovered. That would be awesome. I think our lives are going to be changed forever. Will folks be able to follow you, though, on social media? You know, that's a big thing. You know, will y'all be able to? Absolutely. Um, The easiest way, if you're on Instagram, um, is to follow at following Super Jenny. Um, You can also follow Meg at Meg Guillantine. You can follow us um, on Facebook. That's the best way to find us. All right. 
Jenny Levison, although we know her as Super Jenny, founder of the Atlanta-based cafe and doing so much for the community, also Meg Gillantine, they are embarking upon a six-week journey called the Kindness Tour, where they will travel and they will make soup and they will meet people and they'll and they'll be involved in a whole lot of other initiatives helping people. Meg, Jenny, best of luck to you all, and maybe, maybe we'll check in with you when you get to Utah. Yes, <laughs> I will check in with you. Say a prayer for us that we don't back end anything. <laughs> yes, I will definitely be doing that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and send me that cornbread recipe. And if anybody sees it, you know, the, the, the RV has signs on the side of it that says what it is. So if you see our RV out there, you might want to switch lanes. <laughs> slow lane. Everybody else should just merge on over. <laughs> you know what would be cool if you all discovered you had like a little caravan of, of cars and, and folks following you? How cool would that yeah. be? Yeah. And you know what, Rose, also too, I mean, you know, we're going to areas that Jenny and I have never been before. So if somebody's listening to this and and knows a particular area, you know, we're taking the Southern route Mm. to uh, California, the 10, and and we're going to hit Lake Charles and these areas that have, uh, you know, recently been hit by the hurricane several times. So Mm -hmm. if anybody knows a particular area or a particular story that could use a little extra love and kindness, send them our way, tell them to get in touch with us on Instagram or Facebook or call the restaurant, call Jenny's restaurant. Her people will get in contact with her. All right. That's great. Now, if we need to make this into a movie, are y'all thinking about who should play you? (laughs) I mean, I I, I don't want this to be like a Thelma and Louise thing here, you know, but we're um, playing ourselves because we're actors. That that is correct. You are. Yeah. You have your SAG cards, right? So y'all good to go. We'll switch roles. Yeah, I'll play Jenny. (laughs) I'll help write the screenplay. <laughs> Best of luck to you both. Thank you so much. And thank you for thank what you're doing. Thank you. Thank Be you. safe. Okay. We will. We All right. Will. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE Politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE Politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.